Hi there. Thanks for joining. So welcome. I'm Josh, Dharma Punks, New York. And uh, I live and do everything entirely by donation. So if in any way these talks are beneficial and it's within your capacity to support what I do, the uh, Venmo's Dharma Punks with an X NYC, and uh, Patreon is on the dharmapunksnyc.com website. Thanks. Your support makes all the difference. And um, that's how I live. Tonight, karma, one of the foundations of Buddhist thought, and one of probably the most misunderstood. It's a teaching that has just been so diluted by loose references in culture. People use the word karma to mean pretty much anything and everything. I'm going to sort of sidle in to this talk by noting that there's a deep-seated belief in our culture, courtesy of the fact that we believe that feelings are secondary to our intellect, that it's our reasoning, our logic, make us so specifically human and are so responsible for our well-being, that feelings are evolutionary byproducts that we have to live with but disregard, and that people are better off when they are entirely logical and disregard how they feel. Well, that's not really actually at all possible, and... It's also very important in general to understand how central feelings are and to the choices we make and to our behaviors. We like to believe that we're rational beings, only occasionally interrupted by our emotions and feelings. But actually, but just consider thirst, hunger. These are feeling states that provide essential information about how our bodies are doing. And they focus our attention on solutions. They motivate actions. Feelings of vulnerability lead us to withdraw from dangerous situations. We don't survive in any way, shape, or form without feelings, not just for the basics of how often to hydrate and eat, but also basic core behaviors that... Uh, keep us safe in any unpredictable situations. Feelings are, in short, and for better or for worse, they are very fast automatic feedback mechanisms. All species, all species take actions, and the feelings they experience after the actions determine whether they'll continue taking the action or avoid it in the future. When an animal or a human takes an action that makes them feel safer. We acquire food or we acquire shelter or we connect with someone. Immediately after we take those actions, we feel better. And that feeling better, or that relaxation in our body, that, that feeling of energy that's pleasant, makes us inclined to take that action again. On the other hand, when we do something that diminishes our safety, whether we're a human being or an animal, 
in the aftermath will experience discomfort or agitation or distress. And those feelings will impel us to avoid repeating the action in the future. So if we go out uh, late at night and are followed home, the agitation and the fear we experience, not the knowledge, oh, that was a bad idea, but the feeling of, oh boy, that was scary, is what's going to, is really what's going to be responsible for us not doing it again. We like to believe it's our thoughts that determine how we act, but no. <laughs> Pretty much anyone who's ever been addicted or dependent on any substance or behavior knows that their dependence is bad, is a terrible idea, but they still do it. And so really what determines the actions that we repeat versus the actions that we avoid are the feelings that they produce. Uh, when animals take an action that produces no result, there's no positive or negative feeling. And so they might continue to do it again, but it will not be their first choice in the future. Uh, this process of feelings that are produced by actions determines and guides our choices and even how we focus our attention and really how we go about living our lives. The most uh, important theory of how we make decisions, Antonio Damasio's somatic marker hypothesis, uh, Damasio showed that we make all decisions, like when you're at a restaurant, we produce a representation of each possible food item, and then the item that produces the best feeling is what we'll choose. So... Um, these internal images of our choices create feelings that predict the risks and rewards for each choice we might take. And we choose the choice that produces the most agreeable feelings in our bodies. Feelings are, for Damasio, he calls them somatic marker. They're simply states of slight tension in the musculature, changes in breathing, skin valence, a slight feeling of agitation or release. And so feelings are sometimes called viscera, but feelings are simply shifts in internal states that you can experience, but generally other people can't see. It's the somatic markers or feelings that determine how we act. And these feelings are always created by our past experiences. You, you don't pick up feelings by ideas. People can tell you, oh, exercising is a great idea. It'll be make you healthy. But still, when you think about exercising, if you associate it with exhaustion and, and feeling achy, that's what you'll feel, despite knowing it's good for you. Feelings are based on previous experiences, not things we're told by other people. And Damasio interestingly showed that people who can't integrate their feeling states, their somatic markers into their frontal lobe can't reach decisions. They're totally logical people, but they can never make a choice because they can't feel their bodies and integrate those feelings into their decision-making. That's the, That region of the brain is known as the ventral medial prefrontal cortex. Karma is not a teaching of what goes around, comes around. 
it's not a cosmic judicial system where if somebody scares a dog, a dog will bite them in the future. It has nothing to do with fate. It has nothing to do with material rewards, monetary gains. If somebody is born rich, it doesn't mean that you know they had a previous life and they had done something really wonderful. All karma is, is an acknowledgement that all actions produce emotional states or feelings, and that these feelings are very, very, very influential. And it's very important to pay attention to the feelings that are produced by our actions. So we're going to drill down into that. Um, the first and core teaching, knowing that actions produce feelings, the, when you take an action, you're going to feel something afterwards. It might be very subtle. It might be very significant. But there'll be a feeling that's produced in your body. The feelings that result fall into two categories. Feelings can arise in the short term, and they can arise in the long term. Feelings, when you take an action, there's going to be a short-term feeling that arises pretty quickly and fades quickly as well. But then there's going to be a long-term set of feelings that take time to arise. But those feelings are going to last a lot longer. So we have short-term results and long-term results, or short-term karma. Karma is the results of our actions. And long-term karma. Let's look at some examples. You know, somebody who's lonely might hook up with their ex for sex, even though they know that in the short term, it'll make them feel happier and less alone. They'll feel excited. But over the long term, it's easy to forget that it'll only deepen their loneliness, only rehash all of the disappointments from that initially led to their breakup. Of course, after losing our temper and venting at someone, it might feel soothing in the short term, but over the long term, it might feel really bad, and we might wind up damaging or losing the relationship. If after losing our temper, we reflect and acknowledge it was unskillful and apologize. That acknowledging and apologizing in the short term feels really awkward and scary. But in the long term, we feel much better. We've restored, we've repaired the relationship, we feel better about our sense of self, so on and so forth. So let's summarize what we've talked about so far. Some actions produce good feelings in the short term. Some actions produce bad feelings in the short term. Some actions produce things that feel good in the long term or feel bad in the long term. It gets a little bit more difficult when actions can produce very quick pleasures, but in the long term are really harmful. And then sometimes vice versa. There's things that don't feel very good in the short term, like we mentioned, apologizing or uh, acknowledging mistakes, but in the long term, they produce beneficial results. So this is where the focus of the Buddha's teachings are on. It's very easy to avoid things that feel bad in the short term and are bad in the long term. And it's very easy 
to do things that feel good in the short term and in the long term, you know, connecting with friends and celebrating uh, it feels good in the short term and it produces long term benefits of upregulation of serotonin, oxytocin, our affiliations are strengthened. So who doesn't like getting together with a close friend and connecting? On the other hand, certain things feel bad in the short term and feel bad in the long term. If we punch a wall out of anger, thank God I've never done that, but I've seen people do that. If you punch a wall in the short term, it's going to feel really bad. And in the long term, it's going to feel worse if you break your hand. So most people learn not to do that. But let's look at examples of things that feel uh, good in the short term, but in the long term, pretty bad for us. So uh, one thing that we learn very early on in life, when we have only short-term attention spans and we don't consider the long-term results of our actions, is children lie. They lie all the time because lying gets them out of trouble. If you've broken something in your house, if you've eaten the cookie you shouldn't have, if you have uh, not done your homework, if you've gotten a D in your class, Children very early on see that the short-term result of lying is that it makes you feel better because it gets you out of trouble. And if you don't see that, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, pretty much all children go through a stage of where they lie irredeemably because the long-term results of their actions are unfathomable. There's a part of the brain, the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, which is... It only really wires up by the time we get to the age of 20. When we're kids, we lie all the time because it feels good in the short term. But of course, by the time we're adults, if we continue that process, lying creates excessive rumination. We have to keep track of all the the falsehoods we've told. It diminishes our self-esteem. And then eventually we start avoiding the people we've lied to because we suspect they might have figured it out or that we'll have to keep lying to them. So over the long term, lying has terrible consequences. And there's so many examples of things that feel good in the short term because they produce a lot of dopamine bursts, but in the long term they produce stress, suffering, numbing our emotional pain via drink or weed or indulging in drugs or engaging uh, for hours in dating apps, swiping and texting or Netflix binges or emotional eating or constant bargain hunting. All of these are examples of things that in the short term boost dopamine. Um, but then uh, over long term, they do nothing for our sense of our self-esteem and the uh, the stress, suffering, disappointment, the negative feelings come back and come back even with a greater sense, a greater strength because they've been repressed. And there's also a sense of deep disappointment that um, our, you know, the hope that we could escape it hasn't turned out. On the other end, there's things that feel that don't feel good in the short term, but feel are beneficial in the long term. Uh, journaling or meditating about difficult feelings, st sticking with difficult feelings, observing them, 
uh, writing them out or learning to self-soothe in a meditation practice. In the short term, it feels nowhere near as good as um, binging on carbs and sugar or or uh, uh, whatever other addictions that people use to satiate short-term discomfort. But in the long term, these healthy habits um, produce really beneficial. One, when we start to feel the loneliness, sadness, grief, disappointment, uh, frustration in the future. We know that they're not going to be unbearable. We know that we have tools that will alleviate them. We feel a greater sense of self-esteem. And um, yeah, so there's long-term benefits as well as we've developed the capability of emotionally regulating our emotions. So... um, Another example is, of course, uh, people all the time eat burgers and fries because it produces um, all kinds of reward neurotransmitters. But in the long term, there's rarely any benefits. On the other hand, spinach salad and tofu and green beans doesn't produce as many uh, short-term uh upregulation they're less packed with uh the precursors of dopamine but in the long term they're very beneficial so the buddha taught that the central difference between wise people and the foolish is that the foolish um focus on things that produce short term benefits and the wise focus on things that produce on actions that produce long-term benefits. That's it. That's what he said the difference is. The wise are people who constantly ask themselves before they take an action, how will I feel about this in the future? Nothing more. Again, pretty simple, right? Um, The foolish are guided by the short-term results of their actions. Um, They crave whatever makes them feel good quickly damn the consequences. The wise focus on the beneficial long-term results of actions. They, uh, when they feel uncomfortable, they might connect with a friend. They'll choose a self-soothing routine that produces low-grade sustainable release of dopamine rather than very fast dopamine bursts that have that then lead to uh, mirrored synaptic declines. Um, They'll do things like progressive muscle relaxation. They'll tense their muscles and release. They'll lie down and breathe slowly in a yoga savasana pose, or they'll take a walk uh, outside, or they'll sit by um, a body of water or whatever. They'll do something that produces a sustainable amount of reward neurotransmitters at a very low level rather than something that just feels great immediately. Focusing on the long-term benefits of our actions as opposed to the short-term is so fundamental, we find it resonated throughout all of our cultures Children are constantly instructed to indulge in what feels 
um, to feels or produces good long-term results and but aren't instructed to indulge in what feels great in the short term. Uh, what feels great in the short term for kids is staying up late, watching TV, um, stealing toys from uh, stores, uh, playing video games, consuming sugar, um, daydreaming and fantasy for long periods. And those things produce and make people feel in the short term, uh, wonderful. On the long term, children aren't people are children are encouraged to do things that are beneficial over the long term, but don't really feel very good necessarily immediately. They're urged to pay attention to school, to study, do their homework. None of these things produce any dopamine bursts or reward neurotransmitters. Uh, they're they're told to uh, eat healthy foods that aren't immediately satisfying, like vegetables. None of this is particularly um, uh, uh, hard to grasp. As adults, we tend to be, though, haphazard in how much we live by these very simple, profound truths. On the one hand, most of us will wake up and while we're working, we'll go to work, even when we don't feel like it, even when we prefer to lie in bed, even when we prefer to, you know, be a couch potato, we'll go to the gym. And even when we prefer to eat pizza every night, we might break it up and have a salad. So uh, we do as adults learn to focus on the long-term benefits of actions. But then at the same time, um, when the Buddha teaches that when dukkha or stress builds up, that the, we immediately go for tana, craving what feels good in the short term. And that is actually, there's a lot of really good science about that. If you read the works of Porges and other, and other uh, famous neurologists and, um, cognitive neuroscientists, or just neuroscientists, I should say, um, when there's enough stress and the ventral, I'm sorry, not the ventral tegmental, the midbrain, the amygdala, the HPA axis, the endocrine system lights up and we're in stress, then literally it can knock out that part of the brain that considers long-term ramifications of our actions, that's the dorsolateral, can literally be switched off by both the amygdala and also the dopamine bursts stemming from the striatum all the way to the frontal lobe. So when you're under enough stress and you're an adult, you might know that um, uh, calling up an ex or going on picking up a... Uh, cigarettes or drinking or eating um, carbs or uh, uh, doing whatever it is that uh, produces fast short-term rewards, you might know it's a terrible idea, but still you won't have the long-term 
faculties to override it unless unless we've built up a practice during the times where we are not under stress, where we begin to habitually all the time do the healthy choice. And so that it's wired in to the striatum and the ventral tegmental. We will not just have the only the only consideration will not just be doing the thing that feels really good really quickly, but there also will be the uh, secondary impulses to do things that don't feel as good, but over time are beneficial. So it's very problematic, though, when people don't ingrain healthy practices because Acts, actions that feel good very quickly lead to mirrored symmetric declines of dopamine due to what's called desensitization um, and reduced firing in the ventral tegmental. Essentially, the more we regularly bombard for long periods um, due to our modern technology-centric society, which in, inundates us with dopamine hijacking stimuli, screens with scrolling news, text messages, notifications, emails, um, and so forth. We get our dopamine uh, receptors now become more and more desensitized. It takes more and more dopamine to create a sense of reward, and therefore we stay longer. We become more and more addicted over time, and it makes us even less capable of being in situations that are not necessarily pleasant. Boredom, loneliness, tiredness, uh, self-doubt, uh, confusion. These states that before we desensitized our dopamine receptors um, could be bearable, but now they become unbearable. So we, there's over time, the more we rely on things that feel good very quickly, the more over time we experience less joy because the dopamine receptors have become desensitized, they meet, require more and more and more stimulation to get less and less pleasure. And not only that, in the aftermath, we feel worse because there's no synaptic presence of dopamine. And even worse, low-level states of boredom and loneliness and sadness now are going to be states that produce a marked decline of any kind of rewarding neurotransmitters. So the long-term results are disastrous of seeking what feels good in the short term without asking ourselves, is this really a habit that I want to ingrain? So one of the big problems is that it's very easy to keep track of the short-term results of our actions, but it's harder to keep track of the long-term results. We can often lose track of the link between a Netflix binge and the emptiness that results over the following days. Or, you know, it, the uh, binging on carbs immediately feels good, but then generally people hours and hours later feel tired, feel bloated, 
feel now their mood plummet, but they don't realize that it's because of the action that they took four or five hours earlier. So there are ways to tell if something is producing um, harmful long-term results or beneficial long-term results. One is to reflect on choices we've made in our past and ask ourselves, would I be proud if everyone knew I made this choice? What that's doing is it's actually calling your attention to something and your brain unconsciously will have built up an association, a long-term association with short-term. And very often this is a way to refocus our attention to uh as we look back on actions from the past it refocuses away from what did i feel immediately after this action and it focuses our attention on now looking back on it from a distance do i feel how do i feel about it would i want to be remembered by this decision very often, many of the uh, choices I've made in the past that I have not pursued again don't come from uh, the feelings they immediately produce, but by really reflecting after a period of time passes, is this really an action that I would be happy that everybody knew about? Um Another way, of course, and this is one of the ways that a a monk I studied with recommended, he said that one of the healthy things about going on retreats or practicing renunciation is that if we give up something that we use habitually, then over the course of time, you'll see how your life is without it. So, you know, sometimes we... Uh, people can feel like being with their smartphone all the time is just the only way to live. and But then they go on a retreat where they have to put down their smartphone for the entirety of the seven days. And at first, they feel really uncomfortable because all of the dopamine surges the smartphone has provided is now not there. But then over the course of days, they begin to feel their moods even out because they're not getting these stimuli that produce reward and then the crashes afterwards when the dopamine recedes. They basically now feel much more stable, much more relaxed, they sleep better, and so on. So it's only by renouncing things sometimes that we see that not only they're not bringing long-term benefit to our life, but they actually have been making our life worse. It's incredible how we can become habituated to uh, activities that um, simply are part of modern life, but when, because we haven't given ourselves the permission to renounce them for a while, that we don't really see the long-term effects that they're producing. Um, Another way is to observe uh, how the activities that we do play out in our friend's life or the people that we care about. Sometimes we might not like to acknowledge the effect that um, uh, I was talking with somebody who's 
very much um, addicted to bargain hunting. And it would be difficult for him to see the uh, the fact that it's not producing any real benefit in his life. But if when he looks at other people and he sees how that affects their life and the hoarding and the uh, just the uh, the dips and surges of moods, then it's pretty clear what is unskillful about that activity. So, um, yeah, those are really beneficial ways to reflect. Uh, most, like just looking back on actions from the past and from a distance, how do I feel about that now that I'm not in the short-term rewards? Giving up things now and then, observing how actions play out in others. Or I suppose we could even ask our friends if they're happy about um specific behaviors of ours, if they think a behavior of ours is producing long-term benefits or not. So lastly, um, there are ways to bring um, feelings that are of the long-term feelings or the long-term benefits or setbacks of actions and make us feel those much quicker. Um we can train our minds to associate harmful activities with and make those harmful outcomes produce very fast negative feelings. So we'll avoid those addictions. In my case, um, I was an alcoholic for 18 years, uh, produced terrible results in my life. Fortunately, 30 years ago, I stopped drinking and I stopped drinking by literally seeing up close, the suffering that I was experiencing, the the disgust, and instead of blaming it on other people or myself or the world, I simply felt the disgust and in my mind held also the image of drinking. And I just began to associate drinking with the feeling of disgust. And when I got to the place where all I could feel was disgust when I thought about alcohol, that's the day I never drank again. And that was, again, 30 years ago. So that's, uh, it worked. I also used the same process with cigarettes, the same process to stop eating meat and poultry. So uh changing, seeing suffering, uh, seeing dukkha, as the Buddha called it, and really associating an activity that originally produced pleasure, but now associating it with the feelings it produces over the long term, disgust, despair, emptiness. If you can really reassociate it, then we can stay away from it. Also, um, uh, there's stressful activities that produce long-term benefits, and we can reassociate those activities with um, positive, very fast, good feelings. Uh, when I got a book contract to write a book, uh, at first I was really uh, having a hard time of it because I was over-criticizing my work after writing it. And I decided I'm not going to reread, I'm not going to 
critique or evaluate anything that I've written. After I write anything, I'm going to do something that's relaxing. So after I did it, I would uh, do a meditation or lie down in Savasana or watch uh, for a short period a replay of a soccer match in England that I wanted to watch. So I reassociated writing instead with the stress of criticism i reassociated it with something that felt really good so anyway that's the basics of karma that every action produces uh uh feelings that the long-term feelings that the actions produce are what's important to keep track of not the short term and that it's very important to learn how to uh, keep track of the long-term feelings that and emotional states that our actions produce, and that there's ways even to uh, change the way we feel about things so that we'll avoid actions that are harmful. Um, in our meditation, we're going to be doing some of the reflections that we've talked about. So find a really comfortable seated position and you don't have to be on screen. And in fact, it's encouraged not to be <laughs> so that you won't be self-conscious. And what we're going to do is uh, close the eyes. And bring your attention to the way you're feeling right now. And feelings, as the Buddha taught, fall into three categories. We feel pleasant, which is sukha, pleasant feelings, sukha vedana. We feel unpleasant, discomfort, uncomfortable. And that's dukkha, dukkha vedana. Or we can feel pretty much neither. Neither comfortable or uncomfortable, neither pleasant nor unpleasant. Just a kind of homeostatic, stable state without any feeling of flourishing or um, diminishment. Longer phrase in Pali, Nadukkha, Nasukha, or something like that, Vedana, neither pleasant nor unpleasant, just neutral. So, how do you feel right now? 
would you say you feel comfortable or uncomfortable or and how do you know what part of your body what part of what sensations are you paying attention to do you pay attention to habitually to know how you're feeling I find it's very often in my belly or my shoulders or just the length of my exhalations how comfortable this expression on my face is So for a little while, we're just going to practice paying attention to how we feel right now. And be alert for the fact that feelings can change. Maybe you'll start feeling more uncomfortable as you pay attention. Or maybe sitting quietly, Comfortably paying attention to how you feel will be relaxing and you'll start to feel better. Or maybe there'll be no change. One of the Buddha's core instructions from the Anapanasati Sutta on the foundations of meditation, concentration practice is to find a kind of breathing that feels good. Feels good in the body. So experiment with how you breathe. 
most of the time I find that long exhalations are soothing, full, deep inhalations are enlivening. What kind of breathing feels good? Where would you breathe in your body to feel good? And could you use the breath to smooth out areas that are tense? Could you breathe into areas that feel good and spread that pleasant sensation through your body? So see how you, the way you breathe can change the way you feel and make you feel more relaxed and comfortable.
Feelings can also be a constituent of mental states when we feel good. Our minds are not cluttered with a bombardment of thoughts or worrying. The mind feels spacious and open. Our attention settles. When our minds don't feel particularly good is when they're bombarded with intrusive thoughts where we feel tired, slow, distant, confused. So part of the instructions in the core teachings is noting what kind of breathing feels good not only in the body but in the mind. What kind of breathing makes the mind feel bright, open, spacious, present, but not jumpy. See if you can not only cultivate ease in your body, but ease in your awareness.
So at this point, we can move to the reflections that we spoke of, the meditative contemplations. So looking back, just ask or think of a, bring to mind a choice that you've made or a set of actions. It could be actions that you do rather routinely or something that just stands out. And just ask ourselves, would I be proud and comfortable if everyone knew about this, if everybody could see me doing X or Y? Would I want to be remembered by this behavior? So how does it make me feel now looking back How do I think it played out in my life over the long term? And if you immediately go towards something that's negative, try to rebalance it afterwards with something positive. We don't want this to be an exercise in self-flagellation. We simply want to bring to mind and really feel both something that in the long term was beneficial and bring to mind and really feel the long-term results of something that wasn't beneficial.
bring to mind something that we turn to frequently as a way to self-soothe or feel better. And then imagine what would happen if that wasn't available. First, what we'll, you'll feel will be uneasy. uncomfortable but then allow your mind to leap forward into the future and how do you think it would play out over time some things are actually very skillful in the short and long term and we might say well that would be unpleasant to lose quickly and over the duration, but some things we've sort of become habituated to. The checking a smartphone throughout the day for messages, the habitual looking at social media, the habitual eating or uh, the times that we rely on other routines. This is this is a time to reflect on what would be the long term results if we renounced something that we've come to depend on. And finally, think of some habitual routine and just ask ourselves if or how we feel 
about this when we see other people, people we care about, doing the same as this behavior played out well in other people's lives. So I'm going to bring our practice to a close, thanking you for your participation, taking your time, opening your eyes.